Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find written in St. Mark's Gospel, reading there in the 13th chapter, beginning at the 32nd verse. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taken a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I realize it's not a very good morning with a mixture of rain and snow, but I do hope that all of us are grateful to God for the occasion we can come into his sanctuary this day and that we can worship him. Today, as you heard me announce, is the 25th Sunday after Trinity. This means that today is the second last Sunday of the present church year. Next Sunday, we shall bring this church year to an end and then two weeks from today will be the first Sunday in Advent. We shall begin another new church year. And when we come to the end of another church year and the shadows begin to lengthen, it is just natural, is it not, that you and I as Christians, we begin to think about the final things, about Christ's return and about the end of the world. And the text that I just read is very appropriate for this Sunday. It contains the words that Jesus spoke on Tuesday of Holy Week. In the afternoon of Tuesday, he and the twelve disciples left the temple for the last time. They walked away from the temple, they crossed the brook Kidron, they went up the slope of the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sat down on the slope of the Mount of Olives, and the disciples were around him, and they looked back at the temple. And then it was that Jesus had quite a bit to tell them that day about his return and about the end of the world. And it was very natural for the disciples then to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, when will these things be? When are these things going to happen? When are you going to come back? When will the end of the world take place? And then it was that Jesus says, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. He said, Men, that's a secret. The when is very uncertain. As to when I will come back and when the end of the world will occur, this is an uncertainty, this is a great secret. But then he turned to them and he said, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to watch. I want you to be ready. I want you to pray to be prepared for my return and for the end of the world, even though the when is uncertain and it's a great secret, even though you do not know when I am going to return and when the end of the world will come. And on this second last Sunday of the church year, Jesus speaks to you and me from the word of God, from the slope of the Mount of Olives, and he says to you and me as Christians, I beg of you and I urge you, watch, be ready. Pray to be prepared for my return and for the end of the world, 
even though the when is uncertain, even though you do not know when I am going to come back and when the end of the world will take place. And I suppose when Christ says, watch, be ready for my return, and you and I say, but it's so uncertain, it's a great secret when he's coming back, that we may find it rather hard to believe, and we may say to ourselves, where is there any evidence that he's actually going to come back? If it's uncertain when he's coming, isn't it easy to draw the conclusion that perhaps he isn't going to come at all, that perhaps there isn't going to be an end of the world? And you and I may rather substantiate that by saying, here it's 2,000 years since he sat on the slope of the Mount of Olives. It's 2,000 years since he said, watch and be ready for my return, even though you don't know when I'm coming back. And we may say in 2,000 years nothing's happened, he hasn't come yet. And we may say, is there any evidence that you and I have in this 2,000-year period that he's actually going to come back? We may find it a little difficult to say, oh, this thing about his return and about the end of the world, because the when is so uncertain and it's such a deep-hidden secret, is he actually going to come back? Where is there any evidence? And when Jesus was seated that Tuesday afternoon on the slope of the Mount of Olives, there was quite a discourse. He had quite a number of things to say to the twelve. And amongst them, he made some prophetic utterances. And I think it's very appropriate on this Sunday, the second last Sunday of the church year, for you and me to say, what did he talk about? When they ask him, when are you going to come, Lord? When will the end of time be? Is there any evidence that you and I have that perhaps we're overlooking that we can say to ourselves, no wonder he wants us to get ready for his return because even though the time is uncertain, nevertheless he is going to return. Jesus would say to you and me this morning, don't you worry a moment, I'm coming back, I'm going to return. You want some evidence? Jesus will say, here it is. And the very first evidence that we find is this, that Christ would remind you and me that here is the first proof and guarantee. That's his prophecy as regards the temple, which unbelievably came true. Oh, he told them when they said, Lord, when are you going to come? When will the end of the world occur? And he said, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man. He said, man, this is a secret. Not even the angels in heaven know it. The angels, the greatest creation of God, the invisible creatures of God, even they do not know when Christ is going to return. And then he says, neither the Son but the Father. And those words rather bother some Christians. They say, didn't Christ even know when he was going to return? And here we must say he was speaking as a human being. He is saying to us, as a human being here upon earth, I do not know when I am going to come back. As God the Son, yes. As God, the second person of the Trinity, but as a human being, I have withheld that information from myself. Only the Father knows. Here is a secret of heaven. Only God and the Son, as the Son of God and the Holy Spirit, know when Jesus is going to return. What a secret. But on the other hand, he told them, as they were seated there on the slope of the Mount of Olives, and they looked back and the disciples saw the temple and all the buildings, and it was shining there in the sun, and uh, they looked at it, and they thought it was a marvelous thing, and Jesus says uh, that, again, the day was going to come when that temple was going to be destroyed, when not one stone would be left upon another. You and I would say, well, that's the last thing that would ever have happened. Oh, the Jew loved his temple. He only had two, you know. When God gave the ceremonial laws to Moses at Mount Sinai, you'll recall they worshipped in tabernacles, in tents, 
And then came the day of Solomon about a thousand years before Christ, and he built that first temple, and it was magnificent. It was the wonder of the world at that day. And it stood till about the year 586. It stood about 400 years. And you recall that Nebuchadnezzar came over from Babylon, and he stripped the temple, he plundered it, and then he destroyed that temple. And he carried the children of Israel into captivity, down into Babylon. They were there for seven years. And then they came back, and then they rebuilt the temple. And those that saw the second temple, as it was rebuilt about 400 years before Christ, they wept because it was nothing in comparison to what the first temple had looked like. And then in Jesus' day, just before the time, King Herod had spent many dollars on that temple, and it was a tremendous building, even though it did not match in comparison to the beauty of Solomon's temple. And yet on the slope of Olivet that day, Jesus said, Not one stone shall be left upon another. You and I say, is he going to come back? He says, I will return even though you don't know the day and the hour. And he gave a prophecy, he said, men, there will not be one stone left upon another. This was about the year 33. And in the year 70, Emperor Titus, the Roman emperor, came in with his legions and he destroyed that temple. And we are told by Josephus, the historian, that it looked as though it was a plowed field, that there had never been a building there. It was destroyed in the year 70. If you've ever been in Rome and you've seen the Arch of Titus, there is an arch that has been erected to the man that destroyed that temple. And would you believe it, not only has that temple been destroyed, but here we are nearly 2,000 years later, and the Jew still doesn't have a temple. And sort of in irony, in cynicism, on the site where the Jewish temple stood, there now stands a Mohammedan mosque to a different God, to a different religion altogether as though in mockery. The Jew stands and he goes before his wailing wall, and you've seen pictures of that. The remnants of what once was the temple, he has no temple today. Jesus says, I'm coming back. You say nothing has happened in 2,000 years, where is the temple? He prophesied in about the year 33 that it would be destroyed. And even to this day, the Jew has no temple. No wonder Jesus says to you and me, you watch, you pray, you be ready, you be prepared. I'm coming back. And there will be an end of the world. And you and I may say, well, if the time's uncertain, isn't it reasonable to suppose that uh, whether he's even going to come back or not, that's uncertain too? Where is there any evidence in 2,000 years? Jesus says, I prophesied, where is the Jewish temple? I said it would be destroyed. And oh, how it has been destroyed. We look at evidence this morning. We say, what's happened? Is Christ coming back even though we don't know the day or the hour? Even though that is a great secret in heaven, is he going to return? Will there be an end of the world? Is there any evidence? Is there any proof? And Jesus, in this Olivet Discourse, he would remind you and me of this second prophecy, the prophecy as regards wars and rumors of wars, which prophecy is unbelievably true today. Can you imagine this stranger of Galilee sitting on the slope of the Mount of Olives nearly 2,000 years ago and saying, and there shall be wars and rumors of wars? You and I would say, oh, in this sophisticated age, surely men would learn to know that war is ridiculous. 
That war is, as Sherman has said, it's nothing but hell. That war doesn't settle anything. Surely man will reach the place where he will be so intelligent that he will never even dream of waging war. And yet, you know, your Savior and mine sat on the slope of Olivet nearly 2,000 years ago, and he said, Men, if you wonder whether I'm coming back, let me tell you. In the period between my first coming now and when I return, there will be wars and rumors of war. Do you remember any time in your life or mine when there wasn't a war? When I look back when I was a kid, World War I, then World War II, then again we had Korean War, and now we're having the Vietnam War. You and I haven't seen any time, have we? And historians tell us as they go back in 2,000 years, there have scarcely been any great periods of time when there wasn't a war being waged someplace in the world. The stranger of Galilee said on Tuesday afternoon, if you want to know whether I'm coming back or not, let me tell you, there are going to be wars and rumors of wars. And here we are, we're saying, well, we're going to bring the Vietnam War to an end. And yet here we have Israel again, and Israel and the Arab world just waiting to pounce upon one another. Here is Red China, and here is the Soviet Union standing in fear and trepidation of one another. And you and I say, is Christ coming back? Jesus, he's batting a thousand on that one, isn't he? And he said, I want you to know there will be rumors of war, and there will be wars and bloodshed. No wonder, he says to you and me, I want you, I plead with you, you watch, you be ready. You pray that you are prepared for my return even though you don't know the day and the hour, but I'm coming back. I'm going to return. You say in 2,000 years nothing has happened. There's no evidence. Jesus says, haven't you looked? You want the third one? Jesus says, this is the prophecy as regards his own race. When he was seated on the slope of the Mount of Olives, he also spoke these words. He said, and this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. That word generation is also used in the sense of race. He said, this race of people, my people, the Jewish people, will not pass away until I come back again. Can you imagine anything like that? You and I say that is unbelievably true. You know, there's no other case in human history like the case of the Jewish race. Abraham, technically speaking, was the first Jew when God called him, you remember, from Ur of the Chaldees and told him to go to a strange land and he went into the land of Palestine. And from Abraham's seed, God raised up a nation. They went down into Egypt, you recall, and they were down there for 430 years. And then God led them through Moses and brought them into the land of Canaan. And they became a nation, a different nation, raised from Abraham's seed because Christ was going to come. And it reached its heyday in the days of King David and the days of King Solomon. Then you recall the kingdoms were divided. And in the year 722 B.C., you remember that the Assyrians came out of the northeast and they destroyed the northern kingdom and they carried ten tribes of Israel into captivity. These are the famous lost ten tribes. They were amalgamated. They're gone. And then in the year 586, when Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the southern kingdom, he carried the little kingdom of Judah into captivity. They were down there for seven years, and they came back, just a small handful of people. You say, what in the world has ever kept the Jewish nation alive? There must have been some providential care here. And finally, from that little remnant, from the tribe of Judah, 
Jesus Christ came into the world as the Savior of the world from the family of David, from this peculiar race. And you and I have seen in the 20th century, if you were in Germany at any time as I have been and you've stood at Buchenwald and Dachau and you've said to yourself, here were the gas chambers of Hitler. Here it is where over six million Jews were exterminated by gas an attempt of one human being to commit genocide, to destroy from the face of the earth the entire Jewish race. You know that there is no other example in human history like it. From all intents and purposes, from all the persecutions that have ever come, you and I would say, the amazing thing is that there is one Jew alive today. But you know my Savior on the slopes of Olivet on Tuesday afternoon before his death said, uh, this generation, this race of people shall never perish from the earth. You and I may say, is he coming back 2,000 years and nothing's happened? And when the very coming is uncertain and it's a great mystery, uh, is he going to return at all? And Jesus says, have you ever seen a Jew? And you know it's more than providential. Henry Kissinger, the White House aide, Henry Kissinger, who's playing a great part in the peace treaty as a Jew. Could it be that Jesus is saying, you think I'm not coming back? Henry Kissinger is a Jew. My race is prominent. My race will go on to the end of time. I'm coming back. Don't you ever forget it. You watch and you pray. Rather strange, isn't it, that a Henry Kissinger, a Jew, should be in a prominent role in world history as he is today. You know, I rather think my Savior's batting a thousand on that one. Whenever you and I see a Jew, we may say, well, I don't know when he's coming, but I do know he's coming because there's a Jew. And this race, that men would never dream could ever happen will never perish from the earth until he comes again. Rather strange, isn't it? No wonder on the slope of Olivet he told the men, I want you to watch, I want you to pray. You talk about evidence, the evidence, he says, of this great mystery and this prophecy that he said, and you men shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Can you and I imagine anything so ridiculous to have God's Son come into this world and become a human being and to go to Calvary's cross and to die and bear hell and damnation for you and me and to merit a robe of righteousness that is spotless, that you and I, sinners and corrupt individuals as we are, that if we tell him we're sorry and we put our trust in him, that he will put that robe of righteousness on you and me and that we'll have eternal, everlasting life. Can you imagine anything but the world would just simply make a path to his door and scream for him and have him the most popular person? And yet on the slope of Olivet that day, he said, uh, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Rather an unbelievable prophecy. And yet look at it. This is the 20th century. Have you ever seen such hatred against the church? Let me tell you, if you ever get into Germany... You're ever into Berlin and you go beyond from West Berlin into East Berlin and you go beyond that wall that is built right down the main street of that city. 
to begin to do some thinking. When I have people start telling me about the virtues of communism, I tell them there isn't any godless and more damnable in the world than that. Communism has raised its head and it's out to take Jesus Christ and to blot him out of the minds of men forever. Talk about hatred. When you get into East Germany, you see all buildings have been rebuilt except the churches. There's no room for Jesus Christ and for God in East Germany and behind the Iron Curtain. Strange, isn't it, that my Lord and yours sitting on the slope of Olivet on Tuesday afternoon, I said, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. I wonder how in the world he did. You know, I think he's coming back, don't you? Sort of adding a thousand on that. Whenever you and I say, but 2,000 years to come, he's not going to come back. Uh, since the time is so uncertain and it's such a mystery, uh, he's not going to return. And Jesus says, I I'll be back. I'm coming back. Don't you ever fear. You talk about any evidence. I've given you evidence. And then we'll mention another one. And he said, to reach all nations. Rather strange, he sat on the slope of Olivet that afternoon and he told the disciples, I, I want you to watch, I want you to pray to be ready and be prepared, even though again, the day and the hour, again, those are uncertain, but I'm coming back. And he uttered a prophecy about uh, his gospel, his word would penetrate all nations. Can you imagine a lowly stranger of Galilee uh, sitting on the slope of a little hill outside of the city of Jerusalem saying that all nations under heaven would hear his word? You and I would say, well, now that's rather ridiculous, and here we are 2,000 years later, and yet by means of radio and by means of television, by means of many translations of the scripture into the languages of the people, we've got to say rather strange. He prophesied that his word, his gospel, his good news, it would penetrate every nation under heaven, and it has. Unbelievably so. He's batting a thousand on that one. In spite of hatred, the gospel is still being preached. And oh, I don't know about you, but I think he's coming back. I think he's going to return. There's no doubt about it, even though uh, the time, the day, and the hour are rather uncertain. But nevertheless, he was prophesying on the slope of the Mount of Olives that afternoon. Only the twelve were there, and they heard him, but oh, what he talked about. Uncanny, isn't it? You and I say, uh, you can just hardly believe it. And so when he says to you and me this morning, as we're getting close to the end of another church year, he says, I, I beg you, be ready, be prepared. Pray that you are watching for my return and for the end of the world, even though you don't know the day or the hour, we ought to say, I'm going to determine to be ready, and we ought to thank him that it's possible, and then be ready. We may say this morning, how can you be ready for an event when you don't know when it's going to come? <coughs> he told a little parable. He said, uh, he said, it's the son of man going on a journey, and he tells his servants that they've got a job to do. Then he says, he tells the watchman, you watch, because he says, the master of the house may be back in the early evening, he may be back around midnight, he may be back in the early watches of the morning, or he may be back again just before sunup and be ready at all times. You would say, how in the world can you be ready for an event when you don't know when it's coming? Well, it isn't so hard. It means to be ready all the time. You and I may say this morning, when can I 
be sure that I am ready for his return and for the end of the world and be ready all the time. It means that in your Christian life and mine, we look at our lives and we say, I never want to be doing anything that I wouldn't want to be doing when Jesus comes. I shall watch deliberate sin. I shall watch it in my life. I shall never do that which I know is wrong because he may come at that moment. And if he comes at that moment, it means that I'm out of grace. It means that I'm out of a saved relationship with him. And so when he says, pray to be ready, it is possible to be ready for that day and that hour, which is a tremendous secret. It means being found in grace all the time, to look at our lives and to see whether our lives show that ours is a living, saving faith. And then we ought to thank him that this is such a great secret. I suppose we've all said to ourselves, I wonder why God's never shared that secret with the angels. I wonder why Jesus, even as man, didn't even know when he was going to come back. I wonder why God hasn't told us. Well, you don't understand God and the reason for it until you and I can see some love and mercy there. I see tremendous grace. Supposing God had told us when he was going to come back. Supposing God would say he's going to be back in another thousand years and such and such a day. You're going to say, I have nothing to worry about there. But you see, the day of your death and mine is just exactly as if he would return for us. Supposing you and I knew the day of our death, that God said going to live to be 84 years old and on such and such a day, the great tendency in your life and mine would be we put it off. And yet we know what sin does. The more we sin deliberately, the more we harden our hearts. And the great danger would be if he had told us when we were going to die or when he was going to come back, that you and I would harden our hearts in sin to the point that conscience would be dead and when the time came, we wouldn't even want Jesus Christ. Here is mercy in one of its great shining hours. Thank God that there is a secret that exists only in the minds of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as to when Jesus shall come back because we ought to thank Jesus. He wants you and me saved. The worst thing that could ever happen as far as Christ is concerned is that you and I be lost. It ends another year. We may stay with all the difficulties, but if we still have him, we have the greatest blessing that he could bestow. And this is why he is so concerned. He said, I'm coming back. Hold on. Be sure you're ready. When I come, don't at any time be found spiritually asleep. When he talked about Judas, remember he said it would have been better for that man if he had never been born. It must be hell to be lost. If again it means there's no compensation to be lost, nothing will ever make up for being lost. But Jesus has said, what again shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Jesus says there's nothing that will make up for our being lost. It would have been better that we had never been born. What concern that he has. And there he was on the slope of the Mount of Olives on Tuesday afternoon of Holy Week telling the disciples whom he loved so dearly, be ready, be sure that you pray, that you are prepared so that when I come again, you will be saved. And when you and I have him, when he comes again, that's all that's necessary. Oh, if we could just get up each day and look out and say, Lord Jesus, are you coming today? Oh, how some of the cares and the worries and the frustrations would be off and we'd say, maybe he's coming today so I don't have all the problems that I'm looking for tomorrow. 
If he's coming today and I'm ready, that's all that's necessary. I won't have to face tomorrow and the things which trouble and the things which bother. Oh, on this second last Sunday of the church year, to be able to walk the glory road and to be ready and to pray, to be ready. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a living stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.